Welcome to episode 8 of Mental Health by TalkLink. Here's what's coming up. It's okay to not love everything about your child. It's okay to not love everything about your experience. That doesn't in any way reflect on the kind of parent you are or, you know, your capacity to be everything that little person needs. Hey, I'm Rowan, and today we're speaking with Julie Bornenkoff of Perinatal Depression and Anxiety Australia, or PANDA. The purpose of this podcast is to have open chats with these professionals, and it's not designed to be used as individualized therapy. Please take it as general information only, and visit the show notes for personalized support if you need it. Today's podcast is brought to you by TalkLink. TalkLink is an online directory connecting young Australians with the right mental health practitioner. If you'd like to ask Julie a question, you can do so anonymously at talklink.com.au forward slash podcast. We'll do our best to answer it in a follow-up Q&A session. Okay, let's dive in. So perinatal anxiety and depression are, are, you know, really complicated. And I guess when you hear me talk, I speak not only about mental illness, but vulnerability as well. And it's really important, I think, that when we think about mental illness, we understand that it sits on a spectrum. So it's never just one end or the other. Um, Even for people who have lived their entire lives with mental illness, they will tell you themselves that there are periods in which their mental illness, whether it was anxiety or depression, was Mm. more extreme. And there are points at which they felt more able to manage and live with their illness. We also know on the helpline that it's really important that people don't feel that they need to have a defined mental illness to be able to seek support and that really just feeling vulnerable and unable to cope and that those flags are going off for individuals is enough for them to reach out and seek support. So that's why I talk between vulnerability and mental illness and ill health. When when we talk about uh, anxiety and depression in the perinatal period, it's very much an experience that is you know in the same way somebody would experience anxiety and depression in any point of their life one that's really debilitating so you know for people who are experiencing perinatal depression it's very much about being in a space where they've had an ongoing feeling of being really stuck stuck within a cycle of not being able to sleep or sometimes sleeping too much of not being able to engage in day-to-day activities which they find boosts their mood or makes them feel better about themselves or the world that they're living in where they're you know not able to participate in exercise or activities where they're getting stuck thinking about thoughts over and over again, where they're not able to engage with partners or supports, familial relationships, you know, and as I'm saying all of these, I'm thinking, well, that's COVID and lockdown as well, you know, all of this stuff is disrupted um, as a part of that or just having a baby. But ultimately it's getting so stuck within an experience when somebody's depressed that all of those normal patterns and and physical cycles that you go through are completely disrupted and then on the other end of the spectrum and you know being mindful that anxiety and depression can often co-occur for somebody and the anxiety space is one where people just find themselves being very much stuck in a pattern of trying to think a way out of their pressures and stresses and that it becomes so overwhelming that they begin to have not just that sort of thought pattern but the physical response to that. So mm. overwhelming, churning gut, needing, feeling like you're needing to go to the toilet, feeling you crawling almost and wanting to escape the experience that's going on inside your body and your, your, your mind, again, not being able to sleep when the baby's sleeping or sleep generally at night not being able to 
you know, eat, not being able to engage in all of those wonderful things that we can pull ourselves out of often getting stuck in negative patterns. And they're, they're experiences that go on for a period of more than two weeks and a significant, you know, amount of time ongoing and let, if they're left untreated. And what's the bracket of time in which we consider it as a perinatal depressive episode or anxious episode? Is there a period before and after birth that it needs to fall into? Yeah, so for somebody, something to be classified as being within the perinatal period, it is for the duration of the pregnancy or at any time within the nine-month pregnancy and one uh, one year or 12 months post-birth. But we know it's never that late, you know, and that sure. more and more there are people out there that will have experienced stress, anxiety, depression as a result of maybe going through an IVF process or trying to get pregnant or any of that, so already carries some vulnerability into the pregnancy period and likewise we know that people can move beyond that 12 months of you know the first year of bub's life and still be carrying vulnerability that would have first been experienced within the the first year of birth so whilst the perinatal period you know in a medical model is very much that pregnancy and first year so the first you know two years essentially over that that time we know that that can go on in somebody's life um, and then you know it moves into more of an ongoing depressive or anxious um, experience beyond that yeah right we hear the term postnatal depression and perinatal depression can you explain to our listeners what the difference between that is yeah so for many years postnatal depression was used and that was purely because it was only recognized that you would become depressed as a result of having had a baby um you know and it really wasn't a, a recognition of depression or anxiety occurring in the antenatal period which is the pregnancy period um so the term postnatal oh, sorry perinatal became the leading uh, term was very much because we were then talking about that entire pregnancy and first year of baby's life rather than separating those out because it's never a a neat split. We generally find that people are better supported as having perinatal anxiety and and or depression rather than delineating when it really truly you know occurred although for some people it was very much just an experience in pregnancy or just an experience after birth Mm -hmm. um so yeah how many mums are affected by perinatal depression and anxiety yeah so in australia the the data currently shows or has shown that one in five mums will experience perinatal anxiety and depression and one in ten dads which is an even more misunderstood Mm. uh, statistic and when we say that as well you know we also acknowledge that that's for those that we know about um, and that those who are within a diagnostic you know range there are many people who are vulnerable on either side of that that um, aren't really accounted for so it's a significant and debilitating you know impact on people's experience of, of being a parent the concept of a spectrum is one that we've heard from many psychologists mm. uh, on the very light end of that spectrum we talk often about baby blues do we have a bit of a feel on how many people how many mums are affected by baby blues 
baby blues is a really normal experience and one that we expect you know many women to have post-birth and is an experience of adjustment both hormonally and you know in a psychological identity space you know um, something that occurs in the early phase of being a new parent I don't have the stats around that but I know that that's even more common um, than you would expect you know perinatal anxiety or depression to be for somebody um, and again you know they, they kind of get mixed up so quite mm. often we hear pet callers who have called the helpline saying that I waited because I was told that it was just baby blues and I'd get get over it or get through it um, by you know a child maternal health nurse or a midwife or GP or whomever and really you know that then disrupted them or delayed them in seeking support um, and you know then it really got to the point where it hadn't gone away for them and they started to say hang on this isn't right or a family member said this seems like it's hanging around for a long time and you need some support with that so we know that there is often confusion around baby blues and perinatal anxiety and depression. So what is the right path to take then? We always say, and, you know, one of the things I promote really broadly is that there there is not a wrong path when you're seeking or speaking out, you know. Um, I think from our perspective, we know that historically and probably prior to COVID, a lot of people waited till about, you know, five to six months of baby's age to be seeking support when they were feeling vulnerable rather than reaching out early. Um, and what we've seen with COVID and probably because some of the normal face-to-face -face supports that you would expect to have there are no, no longer there or as simple to access with COVID. Um, we're seeing callers ringing when the baby is a lot younger. Um, so a lot of people reaching out for support earlier and, you know, hopefully that is because of the additional media we've been able to do and that is occurring across the country around supporting your mental health and wellbeing. But we've seen a much greater increase in people seeking support earlier. But ultimately, you know, we need to be better at talking about it and understanding that, you know, you don't have to judge what your experience is like. You just have to trust those internal flags. And if something doesn't feel right, don't leave it. You know, don't try and understand it. Just reach out for help and be supported through that process. Mm. Um, and that way, you know, the sooner people can get access to support, the sooner they're able to get back on track or be able to put in place steps to, to come out of the other side of it and, and you know, engage with their baby. Yeah, so for our listeners, uh, we've lined up a as lived experience with uh, Mum Josie, mm -hmm. who Fantastic, commented. Yeah. She commented on exactly what you're saying. There was a delay for her, and she feels in her experience mm -hmm. that that caused um, that caused the situation to exacerbate, get worse for mm -hmm. her, mm -hmm. and that was one of her key takeaways. Don't wait. Yeah. And look, you know, I think one of the things that we forget in society and as individuals is that, you know, our sense of self-worth and our sense of confidence in our capacity, regardless of whether it's being a parent or working in a workplace or being in a relationship, all comes from experience. You know, you have to have positive experiences or fulfilling experiences to feel capable um, and I think that we know well, I don't think that we know we know that you know the longer you leave it to seek help um, the the you know more that experience and that uh, that evidence that you're going to be okay and that you're going to navigate the uncertainty of parenting is just disrupted um, so you know 
uh, you don't get that time back with your baby, you know, in the early mm. years um, or with your pregnancy and, and feeling what that is like, whether you're the father experiencing it vicariously or the mum directly. You know, we want people to be able to have that time and, and that time be of, of a positive time. So, uh, you know, don't undermine that in terms of delaying and, and, you know, subjugating your needs when you could be getting support and then, you know, experiencing a more positive journey and space. You talked about dads experiencing depression and anxiety as well. Mm. Could you explain that and go into that a little bit more? Yeah, most definitely. It's work we're really proud to be doing at Panda and continues to emerge in many ways as, you know, the language around men's mental illness more broadly in the Australian context is emerging. You know, for many years there wasn't really an okay way to talk about it or a way that was... um, palatable or acceptable you know in our culture and we know that you know with uh, one in ten men experiencing perinatal anxiety or depression Um, and you know we get to do some really cool work and have been doing some great work in terms of uh, you know industries that are more dominated by men and doing partnership work to try and increase awareness around the experience of anxiety and depression for new dads Um, and you know we know that it's really important to be doing that work and not assuming that it's okay to talk about uh, mental vulnerability and mental illness in men in the same way that women would historically especially when you start to think away about the way in which um, you know early parenting you know tools and resources and equipment and formula and nappies and all of those things are so sort of culturally set up to look and feel a certain way and they're all directed towards mums Mm. Um, so we know that it's really important to start to build a bit of a um, a cultural lens and and a, a view and a reference that is more uh connectable for men i guess uh you know it's not it's not okay for us to assume that the language we use in terms of mental illness and men's experience fits with that of a woman so we want to be talking about that differently and we know that the motivations are different you know in that women feel an overwhelming sense of the the intimate connection they have with their baby and we know that from what we hear from men the importance of maintaining the unit and their role in being that sort of blanket that wraps around the mum and the barb or um, Mm. or their same-sex partner and the barb or whatever that is for them is a step removed but very much still as important as that intimate relationship that a a mum has. So, um, you know, we know it's really important to be able to talk about that and be open about that but reflect on it differently. Yeah, that does sound like a balancing act. And I'm sure a lot of men and partners would find on one hand the pull of being the protector and provider and on the other hand also potentially dealing with their own experience of perinatal depression really difficult. Yeah, the concept of even rocks crumble, I think, is a really important one when we start to talk about men or, or, you know, women who have had a really strong sense of identity that haven't allowed themselves to, to feel or experience or reflect on vulnerability ultimately we all crumble at times and that's okay you know one of the things that I think is really important for people to remember in any stage of their life but especially in parenting is it's okay to not love it all of the time it's okay to not love everything about your child it's okay to not love everything about your experience 
that doesn't in any way reflect on the kind of parent you are or, you know, your capacity to be everything that little person needs or little people need if you have multiple births, you know. Um, and I think we're not really taught as a, in a society to be able to reference and be real about the fact that stuff's crap sometimes and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mentioned psychosis uh, as a, mm-hmm. as a, um, a another end of the extreme of the experience mm. of depression and anxiety. Could you tell our listeners what perinatal psychosis is, how many people it affects? Yeah, so one one to one in a thousand. I'm sorry, one in a thousand to one in two thousand women uh, experience perinatal or postnatal psychosis, um, and that is psychosis that occurs in the postnatal period for the first time. Um, but we know that there are a lot of people in society who may have experienced psychosis um, in some form or another prior to being a parent. Um, who transition through having been pregnant and having a baby in, in a support way and do that and navigate that beautifully. Um, but we also know that then for some, the, their experience of psychosis occurs for the first time in the postnatal period. Um, and, you know, as a result of disruption to, you know, general trauma um, as a result of disruption to hormonal levels and impact on brain chemistry we're not sure but um, we know for our callers and those that have reached out for support in the research we've reviewed in this area it's a really debilitating space for uh, new mums and really scary for families so you know the as you you know you said we uh, most of the work that we do at Panda is uh, underwritten and, and co-developed by lived experience and the the callers but also our community champions who speak to what it is like to have lived with that postnatal psychosis is is just harrowing for them you know um and for the partners to go through that process as you said before where they're trying to hold everything together and be the strong one and they're watching their their partner you know fall apart or have these Mm. experiences of hallucinations and delusions and and losing touch with reality at points in their experience you know um and you know while they're trying to hold together you know breastfeeding or parenting and all of that stuff is is really debilitating um but ultimately it is an experience where where somebody has uh quiet out their thinking where they're hallucinating uh where they're having delusions they're having unrealistic thoughts um sometimes you know fears of people going to hurt their baby or their family unit sometimes thoughts of you know, other things happening within their, their home um and it just becomes a space that is really unreal for people and, you know, most of the time it's picked up by families or partners who are wondering mm-hmm. what's going on. And, again, takes a lot for family members to step in and feel like they're able to, to call questions to that experience. But we know that through help people can come through that um, and parent perfectly, you know, um, once they're, they're given support. And, you know, areas like mother-baby units and the recent announcements in New South Wales about them getting their first public mother-baby units are really important because we know that there are for some people definitely a need to be made safe to be able to go into a space where they can have medication given to them in a really specialized environment where they're able to be with their bub in a secure space 
um, and navigate that 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 phase and and you know get back on track. Sorry, Dolly. What is a mother baby unit? So a mother baby unit is a unit that's essentially attached to a hospital. Um, there are a few of them in a, or there generally are a few of them in each state. New South Wales is about to get its first ones attached to. They've just been announced um, and public hospitals. And they're really important units like any inpatient setting where a mum and a baby can go on site as an inpatient, they can receive supported care in a medical unit um, and maintain their relationship together during that time so the baby can be on site. Some units don't allow babies to be on site, other units do. Um, but generally we've advocated for a long time to, for there to be specialist units and beds that are in secure spaces where the right sort of mental health support and psychiatry are aligned to be able to give that mum the best care she can get and keep the attachment and connection with a baby throughout that period. Sounds like a great concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really important concept. The other thing that they need to have that uh, is really important is capacity for dads, you know, to be involved. And whilst dads generally can't stay in mother-baby units, uh, having space in which they're able to be a part of that family unit is really important for the health and well-being of a mum and baby. Mm. Julie, if you are a mum or you're about to become a mum and you have some concerns over your own headspace or perhaps your partner's headspace what should you do first and foremost I would reach out for support and whether that's support through my relationships and my my you know friends or whether it's support through you know my general presenting GP if I had access to them on a regular basis or the other things that people can do, you know, and for very much the, the reason why Panda's around, you can reach out to our helpline via 1300 726 306 or you can go online. We have an amazing mental health checklist, which is for new and expecting mums or new and expecting dads or for carers. Um, and that's a 30-question checklist that was developed with our community champions um, to do a bit of a self-screen. And people can go on at any time of the day or night and complete that checklist and it explores people's thoughts, feelings, behaviours and their day-to-day -day living. And it comes out with a report at the end that really references whether or not somebody does need to seek support and talk to somebody, whether they should be getting in touch with our helpline. And you can also print that out as a report at the end of it so that you can take that to a GP or a midwife or a child maternal health nurse to open up a conversation about how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, though, we would say that, you know, if you, if you feel like you're struggling or, you know, not having a normal experience, the first thing is to reach out to whichever form of support you can. And there should be no wrong door for people, you know, we would love to, you know, and I would love there to be uh, the thought in the world that, you know, you, you ask for help and help, you know, is there. And whilst we know that many um, health professionals are undertaking support and training and education with Panda to better understand how to support people, there are many, you know, health professionals out there who still don't really understand perinatal mental illness or vulnerability. Um, but ultimately, you know, 
for most people. It was the point at which they asked for help or said that they weren't doing well that somebody either said, well, I don't know how to support you myself, so I'm going to refer you to this person, or they were given PANDA's details, or the GP then referred them to the most applicable health service. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really just about reaching out. So I've captured three main paths there, just to echo back to make sure I've understood that. If someone is concerned, they could either reach out to their local GP, they could mm -hmm. go see a psychologist directly themselves, or they could reach mm -hmm. out to your helpline. Yep. or any of the other, you know, supports and services that are out there like Gidget House or Peachtree in Queensland or, um, you know, the Perinatal Mental Wellness Centre in the ACT or, um, you know, a number of uh, psychologists that are out there that specialise in the perinatal space. There are also some fantastic apps like um, if the Mum Space app is a really good one to be able to access support or mum mood booster is another great tool that's available to be able to you know check in and see how you're going and receive some app-based support the question also sounds like an extremely valuable tool that you could take to that point you go for help most definitely you can arm yourself with a lot of information and be ready for that conversation yeah, I think too, it just gives you that opportunity to do the kind of internal pat down. Um, you know, as, as we've said, it, it's hard when you're feeling displaced to be able to trust that your experience is real. Um, and I think, you know, being able to go and do an assessment like that, even though it's 30 questions, you know, it's secure, no one else has to know you're doing it. And to come out with a very real and tangible output that you can take somewhere and say, this is real, um, even if it's, you know, not extreme, this is, this is you know, I've, I've got something in my hand that says that, you know, what I'm feeling is, is real, um, I think is really beneficial for people. And would a father be able to do that same questionnaire? Yeah, most definitely. So we have a checklist for new and expecting mums. We have an, a translation for new and expecting dads. And we also have one for carers because we do find too that a number of our callers are either carers as in mothers and fathers of uh, their children or, or um, children-in-law who are watching and experiencing, you know, uh, ill health emerge for their their kids um or more vicariously you know um friend carers or uh mental health carers so yeah mm -hmm. what sorts of things might give someone a higher chance of developing perinatal depression and anxiety yeah so again you know we know that for people who have had a history of mental illness be it anxiety or depression or maybe something else as a result of trauma um, they are at much more increased you know rates of being likely to have a perinatal anxiety and depression we know for people who, who have had uh, trauma in their childhood and you know or may have experienced child sexual abuse or any of those uh, you know awful things that people have to go through and carry through life with them um that they too are also at more risk of of being um you know exposed or being susceptible to anxiety and depression in this period mm. uh, we know people who have uh 
either recent or, um, you know, unresolved grief and loss. Often, you know, whether it's the loss of a parent or a loss of a past baby or, um, you know, a complicated loss, uh, are more likely to experience vulnerability in the perinatal space. You know, when you don't have a family member there to meet your, your new bub and you reflect on that, it can be really overwhelming for people and, and tip people into a space where they feel unable to um, navigate that, that journey. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah, it's hard. Then, you know, there's no rhyme nor reason to why somebody experiences perinatal anxiety or depression. It's just a new experience for that individual that came along only at this time. While there are a number of indicators that make people more at risk, um, we know that, you know, there are, for many, no, no precipitating factors. Anyone who's also been exposed to suicide or self-harm in their um, history, either directly themselves or in family members, are at increased risk um, of experiencing vulnerability in this time. And also of, you know, feeling uh, that they are experiencing suicidal ideation or self-harm during their own pregnancy um, or first year of birth. And that's another area that's not spoken about, you know, suicide is one of the largest maternal, um, the largest uh, reasons for death in the maternal period. Um, and we don't as a society talk about that either. And we've been doing some amazing work with the Murdoch uh, Children's Research Institute and John Hopkins uh, to explore this, which is an amazing piece of work to be doing and being able to talk about that experience for people. Well, I had never heard that. And in preparation for this conversation, I read the um, the Panda Productivity Commission submission, the 2019 document, mm-hmm. and I saw, that, I saw that statement there. Suicide mm. is the leading cause of death of pregnant mums in Australia. Mm. Mm. That's, um, I'd never heard it's of that. It's confronting, isn't it? It's really heavy, yeah. Mm, most definitely. It's great to hear that Panda's working towards that and raising awareness for it and directing people who are vulnerable to the right resources. And, you know, we know that, uh, you know, for everyone, the, the way that they experience it, help is so different, you know, depending on what their life has led them to, to you know, and they've been exposed to. So it does take sort of a small board of responses for an organisation like ours to be putting out. Some of that is just connections through social media and getting messaging out that way. For some, it's tools and resources that are available freely on our website. For others, it's reaching out to the helpline. Julie, could you speak a little bit about um, problematic pregnancies and trauma and birth and how they may influence mother's likelihood of getting um, later depression and anxiety? Yeah, most definitely. Um, so, you know, we know, and again, it got, kind of goes back to your sense of identity and, you know, the the way in which we as a culture set up uh, and idealise, you know, birth and pregnancy. We know that for many, we they were kind of sold this idealised space in which they would have a baby and birth would be amazing. There's this whole kind of um, marketing campaign around, you know, birth and mm. and having a baby whether it's on nappy packs or formula or um, you know baby vitamins or any of those things you know being pregnant and having a baby set up to look like this most amazing amazing time where people of joy and looking radiant 
for many that's just not the case and you know we we know that for many callers you know they had birth plans and um you know everything was set out and came out of the the birth or you know out of their pregnancy feeling completely cheated or robbed of what was to be a really beautiful experience because it didn't go according to plan or some mm. really sad awful trauma occurred um through that process and people just feel you know so overwhelmed as a result of that and as with any trauma you know once you've experienced you you can't separate from it you know it becomes a part of the fabric of who you are for a period of time until you've been able to deal with that and it's really sad because it gets in the way it disrupts the person's connection to their baby and to their family you know and their supports and you know as as people we try to unpack and understand what could have gone differently and how we could have avoided that um, mm. experience or just try to cope with it generally and grieve for what we didn't have as a result of that trauma being there um, and it's a really hard time for people. You know, we know that for callers who have experienced birth trauma or pregnancy trauma, their calls and being able to engage with our helpline or the services that we may then support them to access as a result of calling Panda really does help, um, you know. And as a clinician who worked in the trauma space, I have always gone with the concept and the metaphor of you know trauma is like a piece of glass that you carry in your back pocket when it first happens it's really sharp and it can hurt you over and over again um, but as you talk about it and as you spend time sitting with it and understanding it and turning it over it kind of becomes like sea glass it softens its edges soften and doesn't mean that you don't have to carry it through your life with you in your back pocket it just means it doesn't cut you as deeply and it's so sad for people who have had to experience the trauma as a part of, you know, the, the bringing their bub into the world or having lost their bub. But at the end of the day, we know that we thought people can carry that and not be hurt by it every day. Okay, well, that's it for today. Coming up next, how can you tell if you or your partner's mental health has been affected by pregnancy? Well, we speak with Dr. Nicole Hyatt from the Centre of Perinatal Excellence, or COPE, about testing and screening tools. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review and a comment. We read every single one, and it's just awesome to see the feedback coming in. Your reviews and comments also make these conversations more discoverable by other listeners. If you've already done so, thanks so much, and see you again soon.